This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Thank you, Lionel. It's going to be very hard to follow something like that. That's of huge significance globally and an ongoing scenario. Uh, For me, I'm just going to be sharing what me, one individual in a relatively peaceful country, uh, experienced. Before I do, this may seem completely irrelevant, but there will be a purpose to it. I want you to imagine that this is a hard drive and it's brand new and it's been put on the scales and it comes in, let's say, one kilogram. It's completely empty, no information, it's just programmed. And after many, many years of downloading all sorts of information, it's taken out of the hard drive, put back onto the scales, and it still comes in at one kilogram. It hasn't changed in its weight in spite of the fact of all of this information it's now received. The fact is that it had the capacity to take that information. It's just rearranged digital numbers and stored them in a logical sequence, if we've stored them properly. And I found that this is what our life is like. I remember when my dad died, um, he had an incredible amount of knowledge on all sorts of subjects. And it was somebody I could always turn to and say, what do you think about this, Dad? What do you think about that? And he'd always have lots of good information. And I was astounded at what he he knew. And then, of course, when he died, apart from the, the sorrow and the grief, I thought, where's all that information? Well, a lot of it was with me. He he passed on a lot of information. And so what I share with you now, I want you to take that on board. You know, it's like taking a copy of me or some of the information about me and keeping it for yourself. And, And so it is with all of your life that the experiences you have that have particularly been significant, that you pass them on to your children, to your friends and your associates. Because all those things that we experience and endure in life, they do have a purpose and a plan. So, keep that in mind. So, 42 years ago, in 1976, I became a Christian. 25 years of age. And I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, my father had become um, fatherless at the age of three. And he was billeted out to a number of uncles and aunties over a period of time until... His mother remarried, maybe about 10 years later. My mother, she was an only child, and her father abandoned her and her mum when she was about three. And she spent a number of years um, in and out of a convent, and her mother eventually remarried. And so my parents didn't really have a wonderful foundation uh, as to see how parents functioned and operated. They obviously had some experience, but it was somewhat limited. So with that in mind, I'm I'm actually very, very grateful for the uh, upbringing I had. Um, My parents weren't perfect, neither were my sisters and myself, um, but it was a stable, safe environment and loving. And so for that, I'm grateful. Mum was not a good Catholic. Uh, When I say good, I mean she wasn't a regular uh, attender, uh, although she obviously had her uh, beliefs and faith, and much of that was passed on to me. My father was Church of England and he told me at some age when I was a a young teenager that he was a Bible basher. Um, And I look back and I just wonder how uh, truthful that was as far as whether it was just something that he was raised up to believe as many people in my parents' generation were. It was far more of a Christian society and uh, though it might be nominal, there was certainly that foundation there of things of God. And so I was raised in that environment. I went to Boy Scouts. I was involved in the YMCA. uh, And both of those organisations had devotions, of which I didn't pay a lot of attention to. um, But I'd always been a believer in God. I always marvelled at his creation. I was thrilled to see wind and rain and lightning and thunder, waves crashing, the sounds of running water, of birds singing, of watching clouds float through the sky. I knew that this was all at the hand of God. And I loved that. And so I really can't remember a time that I didn't acknowledge that he was. And even probably when I was about five or six, I'd be playing out in the backyard and I'd be both the cowboys and the Indians and the Indian would shoot the cowboy and the cowboy would fall on the ground and die. And, and then when I was on the ground dying as a, as a cowboy, 
I would look up at the sky and see the clouds floating and I'd say, Lord, what it is, what is it that you would have me do? I, I just knew that God would have a plan and I was curious. I didn't have any particular uh, dreams of my own in that sense. I, I suppose as a young boy, I thought of being a fireman or a policeman or a soldier. Um, farmers, I was uh, particularly appealing um, because, of course, it was out into the nature and into the bush, which I, I loved. And, and as part of that, my dad was raised pretty much in a rural community, uh, farming, and uh, he would often take me away on long weekends. We'd go fishing and shooting and catch jabbies and stuff like that. So I, I had a very good relationship with my dad. There was moments of tensions. I, I look back and I thought to myself, I will never do to my son or, or children what my dad has done because he embarrassed me publicly and things like that. But having said that, make no mistake, my, my dad was wonderful and provided well for us and worked hard. I suppose by the time I got to early teenage years, Though I'd always been aware that God was watching me and knew my thoughts, knew my desires and wants, by the time I hit early teenage years, I became very much aware that God knew what I was thinking. As a young man, I was starting to become sexually aware. And, uh, and I didn't like God seeing that. And uh, after a number of months, feeling my style had been cramped somewhat, I remember saying words to the effect, Please, Lord, go away, leave me alone. And in that sense, he did, although at least I perceived that he had, but he never had. And so I went my merry way of sinning, uh, enjoying life, or at least what I thought was enjoying life. I can honestly say, looking back on those things that I enjoyed, including getting stoned uh, and drunk and gambling, they were fun. But I had to keep doing them to keep having fun. And, and so from that sense, it was really very shallow. Um, I remember at the age of 16, I had started my last three years at secondary school going to Brighton Grammar School, and we had chapel uh, three mornings a week uh, and one uh, lesson of divinity each week. Um, I suppose I got a bit of a, a, a bad vision of what God was about because we'd have teachers lined up through the chapel with notebooks, and if you were misbehaving, your name was taken down, and it was like God was there ready to stomp on you at just stepping out of line. But nevertheless, I still believed uh, that, that God was there. This particular day in chapel, I don't know whether it was the preaching, I don't know whether it was a boys' choir, which was absolutely magnificent, but I was really so challenged. I, don't even, I couldn't even tell you what it was that challenged me, but I remember saying to God, I know who you are, and I'll do anything you want me to do, except preach. Now, I didn't have any sense of call to, to preach or anything of that nature. Maybe even public speaking was, uh, was fearful to me. But I was so challenged about this particular issue, I didn't eat all day. And I went home and went to bed troubled. I woke up the next morning, there was nothing there. And I went on my merry little way, doing what young men do, doing what their hearts desire. And... At the age of 25, I, sorry, I, when I'd finished school, I went and worked in my father's business, which was uh, automotive. New and new vehicles, um, spare parts, service division, there was a wrecking division. And my father's idea was that I would go through each of these departments, including the accounts, and learn as much, as broadly as possible about the business, and to know that spending time as a mechanic and in spare parts so that I would know all that needed to be done, and that should I reach that position of taking over my father's business, that I'd be able to say to somebody, well, you need to do this, knowing full well that I'd done it myself, including cleaning toilets and the like. So Dad wanted me to have a thorough foundation. One of, I made friends with a number of the people at work, but one in particular I got along well with, and we would go fishing and shooting occasionally on uh, weekends. Um, we'd go to parties, and he would get drunk and I would get stoned. And about, I ended up in another branch some time later, and uh, I'd heard that he'd become religious. So I was somewhat curious, um, and so one of the other fellows at that same branch had also become uh, religious. He was one of the, he was a branch manager. And so I thought, well, I'll take him out to lunch, and I'll ask him 
surreptitiously what's happened to my friend, knowing that whatever happened to him had happened to him as well, so I'd be getting a pretty accurate story. I honestly couldn't tell you to this very day what he said. Uh, He obviously testified to me about the, the works of Christ and things like that, and when it was all over, I said, is there anything else you can give me? And he gave me a little booklet called Four Spiritual Laws. Now, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's pretty basic. You know, there's about 10 or 12 small little pages. Most of it's a, a pictures, which are easy for me to read, or were in those days. And I read it, and I read it, and I read it, maybe 20 times, 30 times, and it just wouldn't sink in. And I thought, what is wrong? It, it, it's so basic. And I went back to him a couple of weeks later, and I said, can you give me anything else? And he gave me a Bible. And I, I knew enough to know that this was the word of God. And fortunately, I'd never had my brain tinted to the point where I'd believed that, well, it's just somebody's opinion about what God said. I really had accepted it as God's word. So as I read it, I read it believing. And I read through the story of Matthew and I read through Mark's account of the gospel. And I got to Luke's account of the gospel. But along the way... I became aware that I was foul-mouthed. That was no revelation to me, but the blasphemy was. It really occurred to me. And then when I did often use the Lord's name in vain, it was not the physical pain of being hit on the head head with a hammer, but the sudden awareness of it was, was there. And I remember saying, oh, Lord God, I am sorry. I don't want to use your name like that. Please forgive me. And so that that process was going on, and little did I know at that time what the Scripture says, that the Holy Spirit came to convict men of sin, of his righteousness and the judgment to come. Well, I was being convicted of sin, particularly taking the Lord's name in vain. I got to Luke's account of the Gospel, and I'd like to read it to you. Um, As I was reading through this uh, this morning, because I was up late last night doing this, I um, was reading through this morning, and I found myself choking up just remembering that the journey I'd come on, that God had taken me on, and the mercy and the grace he had shown me. I've broken my neck twice as a young man before knowing Christ. Um, It was pretty amazing. I didn't know the first time I'd broken my neck. Uh, I'd gone on a hunting expedition with friends, and I was intoxicated, not too much, but enough to be dangerous, and I was sitting on the bonnet of a Land Rover. Now, the early Land Rovers had a a very large spare wheel mounted on the bonnet and I was sitting in the tyre on the bonnet at night time spotlighting in terrain that we didn't know very well and uh, I was up there with a double barrel shotgun looking for wild boars and we hit a log. Well the driver hit the log and I hit the air and I became airborne and I had enough sense to throw the the gun and uh, and I landed heavily on the ground and uh, I thought I had whiplash, and I was walking around for a number of days, you know, like, like, like this, and I just thought it was whiplash. About four months later, at a breakout party that I was throwing, uh, I, at that stage, had gone out to rent an apartment, and the, um, and the people had a swimming pool, and they were happy enough for me to, to use the pool, so I had, I don't know, 20 or 30 friends there, and I'd been drinking, and the party had hardly got started, and I jumped into the swimming pool at the shallow end. Um, thinking it was the deep end. And I injured myself. And I, I must have blacked out momentarily, but I came up and I was having trouble breathing. I was going, <laughs> and I thought I'd maybe broken a rib and the rib was pressing on my lungs and you know, I was short of breath. And So I was taken off to hospital and being so close to Christmas and the, all of the dumb deeds that people get up to, particularly young men at that time of the year, they were pretty busy, so I didn't get to have any uh, x-rays uh, until the following morning. After they'd taken x-rays, I was sitting out in the... Well, I wasn't sitting, I was lying on a, on a uh, bed, and I'd, been prop, I'd propped myself up on my elbow and I was reading a magazine. And this, uh, I don't know, the x-rayologist had uh, come out and he looked at me and he said, who said you could prop yourself up like that? I said, no one. He said, I want you to very carefully just lie down. And I thought, oh, maybe this cracked rib is actually pressing on the heart, you know. (laughs) Just a few words told me an incredible amount. He said, how did you break your neck last time? So what he was saying is, you've got a broken neck, and you've done it before. 
And I assured him I'd never broken my neck. He said, you have. And it was really quite recently. And he'd say, well, certainly within the last six months. He said, I can see the mending going on. And it took me about three or four days to remember this episode out coming off the bonnet of a Land Rover and thinking I'd had whiplash. So God has been extremely merciful to me. I, I can't tell you the number of dumb things I did as a kid. Um, yeah, they were adventuresome and they were risky and stuff like that, but hey, we're invincible. And, uh, and God in his mercy um, enabled me to not only talk about it, to be able to walk. I've since then, after many years, had surgery on my neck and had three vertebrae fused together because, of course, there was damage. So... Back to Luke's account of the gospel. Uh, Chapter 1, taking it up from verse 26. And I'm assuming that you know a fair bit of the story beforehand, how the angel has already appeared to uh, Zechariah to advise him that his elderly wife was going to have a child. She was past childbearing years. And... um, so, of course, the angel then appears to Mary. He says, now in the sixth month, an angel, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she had seen him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting it was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and the reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? For I do not know a man. And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month with her, with whom, it was called, whom she was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord... Um, let it be according to me, uh, let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is where things happened. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. At that very moment that I read these words that the babe leapt in her womb, my heart just, it was like an incredible solitary beat, bavump, and I started bawling. Uh, I was overcome that a child yet unborn, John the Baptist, had the presence to know that God was in his presence in Christ, yet not born. And I was overcome with my sin. And there was plenty. Uh, many of my friends would say I wasn't that bad, but you know, when you when you understand what God's standard is, we all fall short. Yeah. And you can fall short by a little bit or a giant amount. The same destination awaits all who reject that wonderful gift of eternal life in Christ. So I was I, I was just devastated at the dumb things I had done and the resistance that I had given to God. I was selfish. Um, I lived for myself, I enjoyed my friends and I I think I was generous Um, but it was all about enjoying life and doing what I wanted to and and claiming what I could. Wonderfully, within moments of this uh, overwhelming sense of sin and guilt I called out to God to take my life. Now it wasn't offering God my life in surrender I felt I deserved to die. And you know, that's scriptural. The soul that sins shall die. And, and, and I felt I deserved to die for my sins. And on calling out those words, take my life, he did. 
but in a very different way from what I anticipated. I was flooded with peace and calm. I had this, incense, uh, this sense of sins forgiven. I remember in primary school, teachers saying to me, McGibbony, you need to turn over a new leaf. I had a new life. I knew that something incredibly wonderful had happened and that my past was done away with. And I had this incredible hunger for God's word. Uh, what I had resisted in, in the sense of being taught and preached to, happily accepting the wonders of God and his creation. Um, but I can look back and see that I was more enamoured of the creation rather than the creator. And, uh, and so this, this sense of I wanted to know about God and I had this hunger for, for God's word and I, I read and I read. And of course the more I read I became convicted of sin. And what I did, very shortly after becoming a Christian, I thought, I've got stuff here I shouldn't have. I had maybe Playboy magazines. Uh, I, I had some a, a Cheech and Chong record, which was really, it's very funny, but it was extremely blasphemous. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. I had an astrology chart, not that I was big into it, but I was curious and I dabbled. And I thought, I, I certainly don't want that. And so I got these things. And I burnt them. Lo and behold, as I've gone on and I've read the scriptures, I come into the book of Acts. And the day that Peter stood up and preached to them and proclaimed the gospel, and they were challenged with the words that he had said about this wonderful gift that God was offering them, they all yelled out, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent. Repent of your sins and God will give you mercy. Be baptised. And do you know what they did? They went home, they got their objects of idols, and they burnt them in the fire. Do you know how much that thrilled my heart? That something that had happened 2,000 years ago, they knew because of their upbringing in the Hebrew culture that these things, these idols, even the silver and gold on them was not to be desired. And here I was, 2,000 years, knowing nothing of that history, was able to sense the conviction of God that I had stuff in my life that I shouldn't have. And so... I rejoiced and I shared the gospel. For one who didn't want to preach, I found myself preaching, not in the sense of going out to the public or going into the church, but I looked for every opportunity to share the gospel. After becoming a Christian, I went back to this sales manager and told him, no, actually I didn't go to him, I went to the one that I was trying to find out about. And I told him, hey, I've become a Christian. Well, he he was dumbfounded. And he said, what, what? I said, what? I've, I've put my faith and trust in Christ. Well, I learnt that he and the manager that I went out to lunch with and another guy in the business, my father's business, they were all Christians, quite recently, two of them, and they had been praying, and they'd been praying for me. At that time, maybe two years before, I had sold a gentleman of Volkswagen who was German, the guy was German, of course, the car was, and uh, he was a really nice guy. And he saw me struggling to get up one day, my, my back was sore, I'd pulled the muscle, I'd done something. He came back the next day, he bought the car, um, and he wasn't taking delivery for about a week or so, but he came back the next day with this tube of phenelgin. It's a really, really hot liniment rub. And he warned me. But when he gave it to me, he also gave me a little track, little, I assume it was a gospel track. I thanked him very much. I used the cream, which I shouldn't have because it really burnt, and the gospel track I put in the top drawer of my desk. And I saw that there often, and I didn't read it. And every time I'd open the drawer to get something else, this track was there. I don't know what was on it. I really don't. But I figured it was some Christian or religious sort of track. After becoming a Christian, I thought, I wonder what was in that track. I wonder if that man was a Christian. Now, I couldn't remember his name, but I remembered the registration number of the car that I sold him. <laughs> car sales guys tend to do stuff like that. So I went back through the company records, found the registration number, and saw his name, Carl Buchner, and this particular address in Chesterville Road, Moorabbin. So after work, I went around there, knocked on the door, and I said to Mr. Buchner, and he said, yes. I said, I'm, I'm Philip McGibbony. He said, yes. I said, from Avondale Motors. He said, mm-hmm. I said, you bought a car from me a couple of years ago. Oh, yes, Philip. Yes, 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 yes. Come in. How can I help you? I said, 
He gave me a little booklet, a little tract of some sort. You, you should have seen his face light up. And I said, I've got to confess, I didn't read it, but I'm really interested to know what was on it. Because I've learnt enough that you just don't accept the fact when somebody says, I'm a Christian, because there are many people that think they're Christian, but aren't necessarily, or they might belong to some sect that think that it's Christian. So I really wanted to know what it was that he had given me. So he said, oh, I don't know which one it was. And he went over and he opened these two double doors and these shelves were stacked with gospel tracts. And he said, oh, um, uh, I couldn't wait any longer. I, I said, they're Christian, aren't they? And he said, oh, yes, yes, they're Christian. I said, well, I, I, uh, I wanted to let you know that I'd become a Christian. And he was just over the moon. And I said, I, I, I wanted to tell you, because I assumed that if you gave me a gospel tract, you probably paid for me. And he said, I certainly did. He said, I pray for everybody that I give a gospel tract to. I learned that he was um, in, involved in uh, people that are let out of prison that are on what do you call it? Um, parole. Parole. He was a probation officer. And so he had obviously had lots to do with community and seen the, the worst of life. I don't know that I necessarily hit that category in his mind. Um, but nonetheless, he knew that I needed the gospel and he gave me this gospel track. And so, of course, he was delighted. And, you know, I love when somebody comes up and expresses some appreciation to me. And I felt this man has been serving God. I didn't know the whole story, but the fact that he gave me a gospel track was enough to know that he cared. And, and I wanted to let him know that God answered his prayers, obviously along with other people. I started going to a, a church. I told these guys that I'd become a Christian, so they said, well, we've got to get you off to a living church now. A living church? What's a living church? And so they took me along to a Baptist church. And um, I'd have to confess here, my wife's here, I, I didn't go to church to find God. I'd already found him. Um, but somewhere along the line, I had been in a relationship with a, a lady and, and I had pondered whether this was, where this was going and whether, it was, whether she was marriage material. And I remember at that stage uh, praying to God and asking whether this was the girl for me. And, uh, and I, I prayed for a number of weeks and uh, I had all the benefits of marriage. Um, but I, I knew that when I got married, I wanted it to be for keeps. You know, no second guesses, it, it had to be right. And, uh, and after maybe two months, God didn't answer me. But it was enough for me to know that if it was right, I would know. But that the fact that I didn't know, it was wrong. And, and I broke off that relationship. I had always wanted to be married. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm a homely type guy. And, um, and I like the idea of kids. So when I went to church, I didn't go there to worship God. I went there to find my wife because when I became a Christian, I realised why God hadn't told me about not marrying this girl, that he had had somebody in mind for me. So I went along to church looking to find my wife. And I remember scanning the congregation and a lot of young eligible ladies there, I assume they were, and my eyes went across my wife and I thought, red hair, freckles and glasses. It wasn't what I was looking for. I, 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 I still had this hour-shaped figure and blonde hair and, and all of that. <laughs> but God in his mercy, in the fullness of time and with one of the older members of the church playing Cupid, um, got us together to help him make an arts and crafts table for a, a function that the church was coming up with. Oh, this was over a period of a, of a couple of years. And, uh, and one day, my eyes locked on her, and I just felt that still quiet voice saying, that's her. And oh, wow. And I didn't see the red hair and freckles and glasses and stuff. And I said something really dumb. <laughs> As we were both leaving this gentleman's house this evening, it was after a the prayer, the Wednesday night uh, prayer meeting, we'd gone back to have coffee and some scones and to contribute making this table. And we got out to the car and I was just saying goodbye and I said, I I'd like to share something with you. I, I said, I believe God would like us to get married. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if anybody said it to me these days, I'd be thinking. <laughs> and she said, 
And I, and I foretold that she would say this, and she said, well, I don't think so. <laughs> and I said, well, look, I thought, I thought you would think that, so what I'd like you to do is to pray about it. And she said, I'll pray all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must have been deaf. I was obviously done when it came to the gospel and reading this little gospel track, Four Spiritual Laws, couldn't make sense of it. Well, I'd asked her about three times to marry me, and each time she said no. But I never heard no. <laughs> long, and the, long and the short of it was, eventually, she said yes. And uh, who any was, anybody was with our, us uh, earlier in the month, we celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. And, and I said there, we've had our struggles. We are so different. Chalk and cheese. Um, but we've survived by God's grace. We have three wonderful kids who are challenging still. <laughs> Two of them are following the Lord. One, I hope, is secretly following the Lord, although she's certainly not living like that. Uh, we hope that the foundation that's being laid will eventually bring forth the fruit that we long to see, Christ in her. Um, I said at this particular function of our 40th wedding anniversary that Billy Graham's wife was once asked, do you always agree with everything your husband says? And she said, I most certainly do not. She said, if I did that, God wouldn't have need for both of us. So in spite of our differences, God has united our differences uh, to make us a combined force. And uh, yes, she is wonderful. She is patient. She is kind. She is frustrating at many times. We won't, we won't go down that track. So when I became a Christian, I was challenged with the occupation I was in, selling cars. People's expectations and their budgets would sort of put them into a, they can only afford this sort of car, but they would be, the expectations were, I'd like it to do this and this, and that would be economical and it would last me for the next 10 years because, you know, we're retired and it's got to see us out and... So I found a lot of those things challenging and also found that when people came in, they were probably worse liars than car salesmen because you'd ask them, well, how much do you want for your trade-in? And they would say, well, I've got no idea. I'd say, well, look, let me take it for a drive. And so I'd take it for a drive and I'd get around the corner and open up the glove box and all these brochures would fall out from all these other dealerships that had been at with all of the figures written on how much they were offering for trade-ins and everything else. So, but I did, I found it challenging and I, and I remembered... Um, over probably a course of two years, uh, desperately wanting to get out of that. And, and I was wondering what I was going to do. And I, I, every morning I would pray, Lord, what is it you'd have me do? It was like when I was a, a kid. What, what plan do you have for me? And I, I must have gone through this very sobering time and, and, and I remember breaking down crying and I thought, Lord, I, I understand. I, I'm really good for nothing else. All I've ever done is sell cars. And I suppose it was at that lowest ebb that I felt God saying, hey, look up. And I had been in, in my house for two years. Uh, it was supposed to be a wonderful wild bachelor's pad, but within a few months of moving in, I'd become a Christian. Um, but I had done things around the house. I had I wallpapered and I'd painted and I'd put trimmings on things. And, and the Lord took my mind outside and I had uh, a vegetable garden. I also had some marijuana plants growing. <laughs> and and I, needless to say, they got burnt in the fire with the other, with the other things. Um, and I started praying, Lord, is, it, is this what you want me to do? You, do, you, do you want me to become a, a maintenance man sort of thing? And I, I prayed every morning if that was what God would have me do. And, and I didn't seem to be getting any answers but I kept praying it, but it almost got to that point where it was just a, a repetitious prayer. I wasn't expecting a revelation at this stage. And then one morning as I uttered those words, I, the still quiet voice, it wasn't audible, and I don't tell too many people this because I've always got my alarm bells up when people say God told them something, but I really felt him saying, if you do this, I'll bless you. And on that alone, I resigned from my father's business. I borrowed some money. I went and bought a trailer. 
I bought a ute. I could buy utes pretty cheaply because <laughs> I still work in my father's business. My father was willing to help. Um, he let me use the, the company printing press. We had a printing press because we do out flyers, you know, this week's special in cars. So I was able to run out some brochures so I could drop them in the letterboxes. I know at the time that um, when I told my dad, uh, he, he felt somewhat remorse and said, look, I know I haven't done this and I haven't done that. And he had, he'd done lots of wonderful things. Um, and I said, Dad, it's, it's, honestly, it's not about you. Uh, you you've been wonderful. And, I, and whatever you've ever wanted for me, I've always been happy to do. I said, but I, I now know that my Heavenly Father has something else for me to do. I wanna, and I want to do that. And he said, well, do you know what that is? And I said, well, mow lawns, chop wood, clean away rubbish, wash windows, paint, whatever. And I was flabbergasted. He said, you'll do well at that. And I, and I wasn't a guy that usually worked with my hands. I, you know, I was um, active in sport and things like that, but I wasn't what I thought was particularly creative. Um, but I was encouraged when he said, you'll do well at that. And so that was the start of my journey of being self-employed back in 1980. And God, in all of that time, there have been times of drought and, and like, but God has been faithful. There's always been work, whether it be a literal or a lot. And, uh, and there are so many stories I could tell you. But that's just part of life. That's just to provide you the means by which to supply for your family and educate your kids um, and to have the means to be able to reach out to other people in help and, and to assist them. Um, we've, we've made it our business that uh, our house would be um, open for hospitality. You know, we've, we've taken people in, as some of you may have been beneficiaries of. Um, God has been so merciful to us and provided so much in abundance. Um, you know, I want to do it. I'm happy to do it. Uh, and I'm... I'm reminded that God loves a cheerful, a cheerful giver. And, and I find sometimes when, you know, you get a lot of mail saying, you know, we want this and we want that, I, I, I feel a bit of resistance. And I think, no, I, I can't give if I feel that resistance. I, I need to give it willingly, happily, not to buy God's favour. I'd already been down that road. And, and look, as part of my testimony, let me share it with you because as I said before about that hard drive, the things that I learned, I want to pass on to you. Probably about six months after I became a Christian, I was going through some stressful times at work and I just—I really needed a cigarette. And because God had so wonderfully delivered me from cigarettes and drinking and gambling and, and all of the other things, I went and took a cigar because I didn't think a cigar was as bad as a cigarette. <laughs> and that cigar... Yeah, they're pretty large and they take a while and so I needed another one. Of course, that's what addictions do. You've always got to have more. And so next time I was a little bit more wise and I bought some cigarlets. So I had more of them for about the same amount of money. And after a number of weeks, I was really starting to feel so convicted that God, who had so wonderfully delivered me from this addiction, and I mean just like that, I had given up cigarettes. I had tried before for entirely different reasons um, and never succeeded and, and God had just delivered me so wonderfully. And there I felt that, that I had almost slapped God in the face, as it were, having taken up this uh, awful habit um, that he had given me victory over. And I was so distraught, I, I fasted for three days that God would give me the victory. I put more money in the offering plate that God would give me the victory. I pleaded in prayer that God would give me the victory. And it didn't come. And I remember maybe about four or five days after these intense periods of fasting and, and praying and giving, I said, Lord, I can't do this. I, I, it's, just, it's beyond me. I'm in your hands. And that day I was driving along, and that still quiet voice... <laughs> said, Philip, if your doctor would tell you you're going to get lung cancer, what would you do? Oh, well, I'd stop smoking. Well, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was well. And I just knew. I littered. I didn't intend to litter, but I flicked the, the, the cigar out the window and I said, hallelujah. And I was delivered. But, you know, we can't buy God's favour. Even if it's for a good cause, like getting over an addiction. 
God is no man's debtor and what he wanted was a, an open and honest, honest heart. God, I can't do this. Um, and so, you know, when we see people that, that are promoted on the, on the TV, uh, you know, movie stars, and they give millions of dollars to this and millions of dollars to that charity, maybe, it's a, maybe they're being really, have integrity and stuff, but I just wonder, are they trying to buy peace with God? You know, do I see other things in their life that really testify of God's saving grace in their life? Because of the number of trials and testings that I've gone through, you know, I've gone off on tangents. I've gone off to, to different churches that have different type doctrines. Um, looking for greater, you know, I, I wanted more. I, I longed to be able to memorise the Bible. No small task, but nothing is impossible with God. And uh, I'm sorry if this, my story is sounding a little bit disjointed, but these things come to my mind. And if I read to my notes, it'll be all too automated and stuff like that. So I'm just going to give it to you as it comes to mind. I'm, I'm really happy when I talk down one-to-one and somebody and somebody shares a problem with me. I, you know, I've invariably got an answer because God's taken me through so many things. Um, but I, I wanted to know that the Bible by heart. And instead of doing what the scripture says, study the word and approve yourself attested by God, I was hoping there was a, a fast track. And, uh, and, and I'd heard of people being talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I was really keen to find out. And so I started going along uh, with my wife to some of the farther out there um, Pentecostal type churches. Not having a shot. If anyone's come from that background, I've been there. I love them. I'm sure that many of them are true Christians. All right. So if I if I touch a, t- a touchy point, I'm just telling you how I've uh, experienced this. We went on to this particular crusade where they actually had healing meetings afterwards. The message seemed pretty solid and good. And then they had these healings and they'd asked for people to come forward at the end of the uh, the service. And and I I was observing. And I saw about a third of the congregation go forward and they were laying hands on them and, and praying for them and some would fall over and, and, and some would start speaking in other languages. And, and we went there for a number of weeks and I noticed every, every Sunday evening about a third of the congregation just kept going forward and I thought, something's not right here. You know, after three weeks, theoretically, everyone would have been through and, you know, is, what's God doing? Is he fixing them up or not? So I was becoming uh, a little more analytical, but nonetheless, I wanted to know the Bible, and I figured, well, if I went forward and was baptised in the Holy Spirit, I would know the Bible, wouldn't I? (laughs) Needless to say, after a number of excursions to the front and having hands laid on me, I didn't. I didn't uh, know the Bible by heart, but I did have a hunger for his word, and being self-employed and driving from job to job, I would be able to listen to... the uh, the Bible on tape and I listened and I listened and I listened and I listened and I had that word soaking into me and believe me it is the most fundamental thing for us to live life knowing the word of God David said I have stored up thy word in my heart that I may not sin against you I, I find that the more we know of God and I did an illustration when I first came to Cornerstone um, I think it might have been a kid's talk <laughs> But nonetheless, I think some of the adults really appreciated it. Uh, by that stage, I'd graduated from landscape, uh, from lawn mowing and landscaping to brick paving and ultimately to concrete. And one of the things that we do in concrete is lay down steel mesh to offer reinforcement to the concrete. But there were times that we'd actually have to use a sieve because some of the colours that we would broadcast onto the concrete to give it a colour topping, they would have little lumps in them. So those little lumps were not good hitting the wet concrete, they'd leave little divot marks. So we would put it through a sieve so that it was fine. And anything that was in the sieve was either ground up or it was discarded. So this, you know, I understood the importance of sieves and I, and I started seeing the word of God as a sieve. That if we know enough of the word of God when we hear error or falsities, if we know the scriptures well enough, we'll know it won't pass the test. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, is the instruction to us. And so I think it's so important that we get a foundation. Uh, one of the other things that I've done in um, talking to people and sharing their testimony, I, I long to hear them speak of their encounter with God. How did they become a Christian? 
and you hear people say, oh, I was born a Christian, or, um, oh, I've been going to this church for so many years, and my parents are Christian. And, of course, that never meets the grade, and I can say that because I know from my experience in the light of God's word that you must be born again. It is, it is something that God does, convicting us of sin, of his righteousness, and the judgment to come. And so I long, if, if somebody doesn't have a personal testimony that they've come to saving faith in God, that they acknowledge the fact that they've sinned against God, and that they are not just remorseful, but they are devastated at their own sin, at the abhorrence that they've done. If they don't come out with that, I don't resist them. I, I try to coax them. I try to ask them those very questions. And if it's not forthcoming, I share with them the gospel, the importance of knowing that we've all transgressed God's law. And uh, so they're the sort of things that I, I look for when I'm sharing the gospel. I can't tell you all of the things that have happened over these years. God has been incredibly merciful. He has provided I've enjoyed the fellowship with Christians of like mind at Cornerstone. It's been a, a wonderful time of growth. I've, I've moved on from a couple of churches who were at one point solid in the gospel, but they got focused on building the church, and in the process of doing that, they compromised the gospel. They'd water it down. They would make it more appealing to the general public. I understand the niceties of that, but to the point where the gospel wasn't being preached. Christians need to hear the gospel preached. We can stray what sheep do. We like sheep have gone astray, each one in his own way. So I remember at one church, I actually went to the diaconate and I wrote them a letter and I challenged them that they had watered down the gospel, that they were avoiding the discussion of sin. The communion wasn't being done very often and it was usually very low-keyed, quietly at the end of a, of a Sunday evening. And they were so big on the programs and the money that was coming in in support of those programs, and they were, and they were lovely reaching out to the community, but they're fruitless. If they don't lead to a situation where that person hears the gospel and their need of Christ, it's to no avail. It's the sower that went out and sowed seed and some fell on rocky ground and some fell on, on the pathway and some fell amongst the thorns and some fell on fertile soil. But you've got to throw the seed out for it to land somewhere and when you pull back from the gospel, that conviction of sin is inevitably not there unless God is doing a work through some other means in that person's life. One of the things I said before about... You know, I wanted to get away from car sales. It was a, I felt there was a conflict. But I've never got away from sales. You know, even lawn mowing. I, I would need to be able to encourage the person saying, well, I'm going to do a good job. Um, I'll, I'll turn up when I, I say I will. Um, and so I would deliver on those promises. But as I pondered things like that, I discovered that we're all salespeople. You know, we're, my wife here, for example, I, I was saying... This is right. You know, God wants us to get married. Let, let's, let's pray about it. Um, I remember when we were hanging out with, uh, when I was a young man, and the guys the weekend had come up and they didn't know what they were going to do. And, and so I'd be saying, oh, we could, go, we could go skin diving, or we could go fishing, or we could do... Always wanting to present something, to do something. Um, clothing, you know... We don't have to listen to the sales assistant. We, we, we take our buddy along. Well, guys don't do that so much, but the girls do. And they talk to one another, and invariably they're presenting an idea or a concept of what they see. We're all selling. And I, and I don't in any way diminish the gospel. But we are presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ when we talk to people. And we do it with integrity. I suppose that was one of the things that challenged me in the car sales, was doing it integrity, you know, People lying to the salesman and the salesman lying to the clients and, and you're competing against other salesmen from other car yards that are telling them things about their cars that are not true. I remember at one stage I was so challenged that people would be bringing back these new Volkswagens in for warranty work. And I thought, but, but the Germans, they make such wonderful cars. How come? You know, 
look at these cars coming in for these repairs. I spoke to the service manager. And he said, you, you have no idea. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, you buy a Holden or a Ford, you go to those dealerships and they get far more cars coming in under warranty work. This is really quite little, but that's why the warranty is given so that things can be fixed up. Isn't it interesting that God has given us an instruction manual for life and it's for life and we need to regularly have a service. We need to read the word. We need to be in fellowship. We need to come under solid teaching of the gospel. And, and I, I would rather a small, warm fellowship than a big multi-church where we're sort of lost. Um, Lionel, thank you so much for your solid preaching, your faithfulness to the word of God. Just, it's really appreciated. And, you know, I don't suppose we're terribly big on going around and patting people on the back, but I'm very grateful for your faithfulness to God's word. And I'm grateful for the Christians that I have here and the fellowship we've had. And uh, admittedly, the last few years, I have probably been focused on uh, a number of things like a shoulder replacement and surgery on the neck and uh, gastric sleeve surgery. And, and I've got others come, I need a couple of hips and a couple of knees. And, <laughs> oh, one day we'll have a new body and I won't have to worry about that. Folks, um, let me say that my testimony is still ongoing. God is not finished with me. Um, I said to somebody the other day, I said, oh, I'm not ready to get old. I've got so many things I need to do. And I'm finding that I have limited capacity. Um, but I, I pray that with the experiences that God has led me through, that I can be a benefit to other people and encouragement and helpful. I do look for opportunity to sow into people's lives. And I'm grateful that you've you listened. There's more faces here than usual. And, and I pray that perhaps that God has brought you here for, for whatever reason you came. I pray also that maybe something that I've said today uh, will ring a chord in your heart and if you don't have faith in God that you would come and talk to me or talk to Lionel afterwards or Sean going out the door there. We long to share the gospel with people. No judgment. We're all born in sin and without Christ we will all face damnation but by God's grace and his mercy we can all come to eternal life. Inheritors with Jesus Christ to reign with him. Just an awesome offering our sin for his righteousness. Can we pray? Father God, thank you so much for your mercy, for your constant involvement in our lives, and even when you allow us to think that you've heard our voice and left us for a time, you watch over us, not willing that any should perish, but that we'd come to saving faith. Father, for all that have been here this morning and heard these words of my testimony, I pray that your word would reach over above all of that, Lord, that, and it would uh, bring joy to the heart or conviction of sin or hope for the future. You are a God of all mercy. Please take what has been said to your honour and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.